Today's sponsor is Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash baldmove for a free audiobook download. Welcome to Breaking Good, the officially unofficial podcast for Breaking Bad on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And this week we're covering Season 5, Episode 8, entitled Gliding Over All. You might notice a little bit of change in our audio quality. Why is that, Aaron? Because I'm in Seattle, and I am trying to do a G-talk on my cell phone, and you are recording with your external mic on the laptop, and it's probably going to be shitty. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be real shitty, but we're going to try to get through it anyway. Uh, Got to bring the podcast for you guys. Yep, the spice must flow. Definitely. Uh, so, this is the mid-season finale, eh? Eh? Yeah, yeah. I got some uh, some feedback that will lead us right into uh, what we thought of it. So let me go ahead and read it. It's for Mark in Oklahoma, uh, unfortunately living in Milwaukee. I don't know, Oklahoma or Milwaukee, which is worse. <laughs> well, Milwaukee <laughs> has a lot of beer. That's true, that's true. Uh, he says, thank God for you guys. I like After Buzz, but they're on right after the show. And don't have much time to research. The Insider Podcast is great, but too technical at times. And the dude on The one, the Ones Who Knock is unlistenable. I, I, I don't know if he's unlistenable. Uh, That's right, David. Suck it. <laughs> he says, you guys bring it straight and, for the most part, accurate. Now, if you say you hated this episode like the other pussy critics out there who have to feel nuanced and self-important with their uh, above-Gilligan intelligence about his fucking show... <laughs> Then you bitches will be on my list, too. Until then, thank you for what you do. It's been a great season. So, what did you think of this episode? I I got to give it, like, a nine. A nine? I, wow. Especially, and, but the thing is, as I can't separate, I've watched it three times now. Mm-hmm. The first time I was worried that, well, maybe I just liked it because I got this rope-a-dope effect from the spoilers that we in, turned out incorrectly reported didn't come true, and I was waiting for that to happen, waiting for that to happen, yep. that by the time the real twist happened, uh, I was just, you know, sucker punched by it, and I thought it was tremendous. And, of course, the two montages were just absolutely fantastic. Uh, the prison sequence, I don't think there's anything we've ever seen like that. I don't think Breaking Bad has ever been quite that brutal. Uh, I mean, I can see, I've listened to a couple of critical podcasts today, and I've read some articles. I can see what they're saying but it seems mm-hmm. like if you're complaining at this stage about what they're doing in Breaking Bad, you should have been bitching all along. Okay, I haven't read any of those articles. What are they? What's the gist of those? Well, I was going to tackle. I was going to tackle them as they came. But one, they they complained that Villigan got uh, Walt to Scarface status, and then basically got him off of that in the space of a montage. But gotcha. I think that is a faithful. Uh, homage to Scarface. Hmm. I mean, when Tony finally made it and killed, they did like an extended take it to the limit montage. Yeah. And then he fell off the cliff. So if, if, if this is that point in Scarface and we've got eight, eight episodes of, of uh, Walt falling off the cliff and having his machine gun moment. And that feels about right. Sure. Okay. They also, 
they also question about how easy it is like, oh, Walt can't just get out of this game that easy to snap his fingers. And my response to that is, well, no shit. That's why there's eight more episodes. Yeah, like, and that's why Hank seen, spotted it at the end. If you think we've seen the last of Declan and the neo-Nazis and Lydia, <laughs> not to mention the ensuing DEA investigation and all that, you're crazy. I think that, sure. like, I have... Uh, Villigan's bitch slapped me enough this season for second guessing that I'm not going to do it during this finale. Okay. And the last but not least, the people had a lot of problems with uh, the way they kind of shorthanded the uh, all those deaths at the prison. Basically, it's like there's no way you could plan that in one hotel room and execute it like the next day. You need. Uh, it's like uh, who, who okay. cares? It's like who's the, who's the expert in prison massacres? I I don't know. <laughs> but my point is, who gives a shit? You know, it was entertaining to watch. It was artfully done. Yeah, indeed. It was it was like the it was some of the hardest to watch violence I've seen in a cable TV show. Yeah, there, there was some rough justice there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the multiple it's, it's, stabbings really got me. <laughs> It's it's right up there with the slaughter of children of uh, you know the bastard children of King Robert from Game of Thrones as yeah, far as yeah. being like woo uncomfortable. Sure. All right. Well, why don't we? I, I pretty much agree with you. I was thinking about an eight point five on this one, so right uh-huh. around there. Um, yeah, and the other people like the other. I get a lot of people comparing this to like The Wire, and at this point, you just can't compare the two. Uh huh. Fire was very gritty and realistic. Breaking Bad has a lot more fantastic as, uh, elements in that. So if you are looking for Breaking Bad to make some huge societal statement about methamphetamine in the Southwest, you're going to be really disappointed. If you want to see a very interesting character dis, uh, deconstruction of what an average man would do in an extraordinary situation, then I think you'd be entertained. Yeah, and really... I mean, I, if you got on board at the at the series premiere, that is how they set up the show. They set yeah. up what if, and that was Vince Gilligan's elevator pitch. You know, uh, school teacher turned meth cook. Right. Like so, what what else were you expecting? Yeah, and I mean, some of the stuff I listened to Whitlock because he did an hour long podcast today, and like he was saying that this is now. I think he said worse than Sopranos, worse than The Wire, or worse than worse than uh, Twenty Four. And I'm like, look, man, if if only for the visual and acting, uh, chops alone, uh-huh. this is a better show than those examples. Yeah, and I'm not bagging on Sopranos or Twenty Four. I mean, uh-huh. they had their glory years for sure, but I, I just don't get it. I mean, I, in my mind, Breaking Bad's not as good, air quotes, as The Wire or Mad Men. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a huge gulf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more that it just—it's not as ambitious a show, I don't think. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sure, it's—it's it's more entertaining to me, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's definitely. not as introspective, and it's not as maybe artful um, as like Mad Men uh, in its writing and its dialogue. But it still does those things really well and manages to be twice as entertaining as any other show on television in the process. Yes, there are. It's not as good storytelling or dialogue, but it's not bad, and the action and entertainment value really puts it up there. Yeah, people are probably going to get pissed at us for saying it's maybe not the best show on TV. Although I still think it well, is. 
Yeah, you do. I, I still think it's Mad Men. I mean, uh-huh. uh, my my internal brain quivers are better with, I guess, Mad Men than Breaking Bad. But it's not like sure. I hate Breaking Bad. But people that are just, I mean, like I said, Whitlock of the world, and I, I read a couple. I think Andy Greenwald uh, from Grantland was a little harsh in his critique of Villigan. Mm-hmm. I really do think they're trying. They really want Breaking Bad to be something. So, yeah, that's my take. All right. Well, why don't we get into the recap? Cool. Let's do it. Is that is that me? That's all about you. <laughs> I'm gonna try to read because I I didn't pack my laptop which is one of the reasons we're in this predicament uh-huh. because like I've been in IT for 15 years and I've recently gotten to a position where I don't have to be on call or have to dial in and fix anything. Mm-hmm. So the sheer novelty of going away for a week and not bringing my laptop was enough that I, I, I did it and I probably shouldn't have because I'm really missing my laptop. I, as a result, I got five, I got five pages of notepad notes in my chicken scratch, and I'm going to try to read and do a recap with. We'll oh, see. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, so we open up with a tribute to the fly sequence. Uh, what did you think of this? Uh, I thought this was a great way to enter into this episode because uh, I, I was going to save this for the final thoughts, but why not open with it? Um, <laughs> basically, this episode... After Mike, or after Walt killed Mike, this really, really changed his outlook on what he was doing. Uh, right. I think what Mike said to him and the way that Mike died at his hand changed the the idea of himself that he had um, more more than you would expect, and that's signified by this fly. I mean, last time we saw the fly, it was because he was feeling really guilty about what he did to Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was bugging him. And so now we've got the same thing with Mike. <laughs> and that, yeah, I know, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> and now that sets up the rest of this sort of more reflective and milder Heisenberg that we get throughout the rest of the episode. I, I will go so far as to say that he is, we're getting catatonic Mr. White in this episode. Yeah. He you know, all of his bluster and bravado. I mean, he musters up a little bit with Lydia and Jesse early on, mm-hmm. but he just looks like kind of a, you know, like he's been lobotomized. Yeah. And he's that slap. I mean, you don't think there's a lot of acting in like a, you know, just, just catatonia. <laughs> he's got this like slack jawed kind of droopy eye, dead eye, like just going through the motions in, in the, I thought was amazing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, lots of him intoning that things had to be done. I'd, I'd kind of like three times he said that this episode. One thing I was going to ask you is, did you know that in The Fly, that episode, that that episode is conceived when Villig- the Villigan and the writers saw this really high-speed, close-up, high-resolution film that some art student, I guess, had shot of a fly, a house fly? Uh, and they're know. like... And they're like, how can we use this? In, how can we use this video in Breaking Bad? And that was like the genesis of the idea for for that that show. That hmm. that that image that, that was licensed footage of that fly. Oh, I was right. wondering yeah. if they had like one last shot of that fly, and they used that in this scene because it was the same kind of like super close up, high resolution, high frame rate housefly footage. 
Yeah, they might have. Because the way they crash cut from him, to, from the fly to Brian to, to Walt looking at it, they use this like really interesting blur dissolve. They could have totally hid the fact that that wasn't the same shot. Sure. So I just want to throw that in as a little trivia. Uh, man, what do you make of Todd and his relationship with, quote unquote, Mr. White? Uh, I'm still a little bothered by that uh, statement we got from somebody or maybe a synopsis that said he was more than he seemed because he doesn't seem to be much at all. Like he, he seems to be a lackey who doesn't care anything about anything except doing his job, you know? Yeah. Uh, he's not going to question Walt at all. He's not going to think for himself. He's going to do as he's told every step of the way and never object. But surely that can't be his character, right? Well, I don't know because play that out to its logical conclusion um, what happens when his uncle tells them to off Mr. White? I mean, Good he point. has no loyalties to anyone, but, you know, I guess his, his furthering his criminal enterprise. And it seems like that he's kind of like one of these guys who's born into a life of crime. Mm-hmm. His family is, you know, in and out of prison and has all these connections that this is kind of his inheritance. And I just feel like he's kind of uh, apprenticing with Mr. White. And if he ever learned to cook uh, at like a Jesse level, that they're going to be looking to, to move on Walt because Walt has no muscle at sure. all. Yeah. I'm with um, but I just thought it's just so weird because Todd's just like, yeah, I did that car. Uh, oh, yeah, Mike's in the trunk. Uh, I don't want to talk about this. Okay. Yeah. You know, and he's already picking up like, you know, you're calling up the RV job and do you want to take care of this other thing when they're talking about Mike? Mm-hmm. Uh, question for you do you think that was jonathan banks in that trunk or was that some kind of like dummy uh i'm hoping it was jonathan banks just i think because. it's I, I think it's hilarious that they did like a one shot of him just lying there bloody in the trunk <laughs> yeah i wonder if they filmed that before they let him go after he was killed or if they like brought him back on set just to film that in the nah, trunk i don't think so because it sounds like the last day of filming that they went all out like I said last week, they did black armbands and it was like a, a character wrap. So I bet that they yeah. did that. They did that little one shot during the many, many days that they filmed with them that last episode. Well, I didn't actually get a chance to listen to the Insider podcast. Uh, I tried to download it today, but it wasn't updating it's not, my yeah, iTunes feed. It's not working. It's, it's kind of a pain in the ass because I, I had the same experience. Yeah, so I didn't get a chance to listen to that. I'm sure they'll talk about that during the, yeah. the podcast. So. Then Jesse shows up, uh, and he's asking, like, what's going to happen? Uh, what are we going to do about all of Mike's guys? And Walt sums up some of his old uh, Scarface mojo and says, there is no we. I'm the only one who has a vote left. <laughs> and uh, Also, a lot of people wondering how Mike was going to deal, or Walt was going to deal with the fact that, you know, he killed Mike. Uh, not at all. I'm starting to think that the karmatic things that we think are going to bite him in the ass are never going to, because at this point, only Jesse, only only Todd and Walt know what happened to Mike. Yeah. Jesse was expecting Mike to go away and never hear from him again, and Walt tells him that yeah, he's gone. Yeah. So I don't know that Jesse's ever going to find out about any of this stuff. He might not. I mean, is it too late for him to talk? to find out about Jane and actually give a shit? Is it too late for him to find out um, about, well, it wouldn't be too late for Mike, but 
I mean, do are these things going to play into the final eight episodes? It it doesn't I seem like know. it because they're going to have to set a pretty breakneck pace for these last eight if Hank's going to have any chance of you know well, actually this has closing been a it. Big breakneck pace. I mean, you think of all the things that's happened this eight episode. We've had the yeah. magnet heist. We've had Mike getting killed. We've had the prison massacre. The train we've had job. The train robbery. Uh, we've had the complete conception and execution of the Vominal's pest control. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are huge arcs to happen in the space of five or six episodes. So, like, we're already at breakneck. So next week, next year should be, like, ludicrous speed. Yeah, and we'll talk about the final scene and what we think is going to happen after that when we get to it. And we're we're going to do another podcast next week that talks, you know, just feedback and split us. Speculation for next year because I'm starting to think that this was all about the family to start with. It's going to be all about the family to end with, and Jesse's going to play a supporting role to that and not a starring role, maybe. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So anyway, Jesse gets the door literally shut in his face. We move on to the shower scene. Tragically, no tidy whitey uh, appearance. <laughs> I mean, we might get one more. And introduced us to Chekhov's Walt Whitman. Did you think that that was going to be play later on the episode? Because we've seen this book a couple times before this season. Did you think that was going to play off the way it did or have any kind of payoff? Or was it just another, like, hey, remember this, you know? Yeah, see, uh, well, they set it up really well throughout the season because we had seen it multiple times. So I wasn't expecting it to be the thing, you know? That comes back on him. But in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense because that really is the only thing that's going to come back on him, you know? Right. And I also thought that it was just a clever kind of wink about the uh, show title. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, the Walt Whitman poem, and here's the Walt Whitman collection. So I, again, had no idea what what was going to come. Yeah. Uh, next scene, we see uh, Dennis sitting there with his lawyer uh, trying to work out a plea deal with uh, uh, one of the uh, prosecutors and Hank being there. Um, you know, Hank gets pretty impatient with all this negotiating with this uh, quote-unquote scumbag, and he says, look, asshole, it's a buyer's market. I got eight other guys wanting to sing the same songs as you, so you should, you know, you, you better get in while you can because the first one of you guys that works out a deal, the rest – Door's going to close on the rest of you. Yeah. Uh, I looked up this Queen for a Day deal. So Queen for a Day is like, and I don't know why it is this because I didn't find that out in this, uh, the the research, but it's it's short term for what they call a pro offer. So what that means is the government gives you one day of limited immunity to tell them what you know off the record. Uh, with no preconceived, uh, your lawyer and the the prosecutor are supposed to be working out like an informal plea deal, mm-hmm. but the government's not bound to give it to you. And you tell them what they know, uh, and they can't use that testimony during that one day for further pr- prosecution. But this what seems they can't like a do, terrible idea, right? Well, that's the. But it's if you're in a desperate situation. That they decide then whether to give you any kind of immunity based on a testimony, but they can't use the testimony directly against you. What they can do is use that information to follow up, you know, develop other leads that might then turn up information against you. So it's basically one of those situations that you only accept it if your back's against the wall and a gun's to your head, like all eight or nine of these guys are. So I thought that was a nice little, 
you know, I just thought that term that it's a sound school, but then if you research it, it really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's right. Hank is right here. He's got eight other guys, you know, uh, plus yeah. the lawyer. So he's got nine guys that right. are there to testify. So he wasn't going to get any kind of Vic Mackey deal. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the thing. They're probably going to give these pro offers to all nine guys, hear what all nine of them have to say, and then give a plea deal to the one that's going to hang the most people. Yeah. You know? With the least amount of get, you know, get, getting getting them off the hook. Yep. Anything else to say about the scene? Nope. Uh, moving on to Lydia, who is still a big fan of the cloak and dagger stuff, and Walt is about as dismissive of it as Mike was earlier in the season. What did you think of this scene? I was so distracted in this scene by Lydia's nose that I couldn't think of anything in this scene. What? Her, she's got the craziest face muscles. When she talks, like, they they showed uh, profile views of both Heisenberg and Lydia. And when Lydia talks, the tip of her nose moves up and down in this bizarre way. I couldn't get past it. <laughs> like, what, she's a human elephant? She's got a prehensile nose tip? What are you saying? I think that's what I'm saying. It's crazy. Okay, is that the only thought you have? Because I have a little bit more substantive <laughs> analysis. All right, we'll bring some of yours and we'll discuss. Okay, so first of all, I just thought it's kind of off-putting how totally eager she was to expand this business and kill these guys. And I can see she's got this little kind of sociopath about her. And I can see why Mike really detested working with her because he's just like saying, trust me, she she's done enough to 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 uh you know warrant dying as any man has and i just feel like in this scene you got that the fact that she's you know like comes across like the baroness from uh cobra well, she's just <laughs> really well, excited about all this death and criminal activity i don't know that she's so much excited the way i read this scene is that this is her move to stay involved and to continue to be valuable to Walt so that he won't kill her. I mean, it's the same thing she tried to do with Mike when she said, oh, I know where, uh, or I can yeah, get you the that, methylamine. It's the same thing she did with the train. I can get you an ocean, you know? Yeah, but that always felt desperate. This felt like, like I put down, the, I, I thought there was some sexual chemistry here. Oh, okay, like we actually had a listener who thought so. She was getting almost turned on by all this. Now, I don't know. I don't think Brian uh, – I thought the way Cranston played it, it was kind of like you could read it either way that he was intrigued by this, which I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get some credit for my adultery prediction. <laughs> but uh, just this – like, you know, I mean, she just seemed like she was almost borderline getting off on this whole plan. Huh. Okay. I didn't really read that, but fair enough. I also thought it was funny how Walt is like, oh, you're worried that I'm going to murder you here, right here in public, right now, you think, and making it seem like it's the most ridiculous notion ever when that's exactly what he was planning to do. It, yeah, yeah. But it, it's also like Lydia needed to say, look, shut the fuck up. You're an idiot. I don't think you're going to murder me right here. But he was. That I, was the, the ironic thing about it. Yeah, certainly. It was funny. Right. Uh, so her plan, basically, just to recap it, because I, bizarrely enough, some people listen to this show before they watch the show. Uh, she wants to take this to international. She's got contacts in Czech Republic, which apparently 5% of their 10 million population is hooked on meth, 
which seems unbelievable, doesn't it? That's uh, a lot of people, yeah. I mean, if that's true, that company, that country must be some kind of godforsaken hellhole. I think it is. <laughs> Sorry to our Czech listeners. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've got some counties in northern Indiana where it's about that, and they're not places you want to live. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's, and I think Lydia knows how to push Walt's buttons because she went for like, you know, this is the, this, you know, Walt measures himself against Gus and he pulls that, you know, like, why, how, how come Gus wasn't doing this? And she's like, he was about to before you murdered him. Yeah. Like, totally stroking his ego. Um, and I also thought that Brian Cranston's acting job when he goes into Heisenberg uh, mode, and I've never noticed this because I watched this episode with um, some really nice earbuds in, and the bass he puts in his voice when he's when he's Heisenberg, uh, huh. contrasting to his when he's a Walt later on with with uh, Hank, and he's all like. Hmm. Oh, ooh, oh, you know, it's just amazing. It's yeah. another part of his, his overall incredible job. His transformation into Heisenberg. Anything else? Uh, no, I, although I did like his semi elaborate transformation and detransformation from Heisenberg to Walter White. Yeah. I thought that, that part of the theatrical cloak and dagger, I thought Lydia dug. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought, I mean, maybe this is part of my whole sexual chemistry, but I thought Lydia was as attractive as she's, I don't never really seen her as attractive until I saw this, this scene. I didn't notice her nose twitching up and down. I just thought she seemed kind of almost, like I said, I never thought of her as being sexy before, but. Uh, she was always so know. frazzled before. It was like, yeah, she was running around with her hair on fire. guys brought it out of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ready to move on? Sure. Uh, so basically, we see Walt go back, put the ricin, Sulu's ricin, back in the wall socket where it belongs. And he calls up uh, our resident uh, psychopath in training, Todd, wants to meet his uncles, which led to a meeting in a seedy hotel. I imagine it's it's the same one that uh, Jesse got a blowjob from Wendy in, although I have no idea if that's true. Did you recognize Devil from Justified? I barely, barely. He looks a lot different in this. He does. He 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 does. Like I thought, I thought he looked very uh, almost uh, like a dandy in Justified. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Here he did not. How has this guy gotten typecast into playing white supremacists? I don't know, but he does it really well and with surprising range. Yeah, yeah, he's a totally different type of uh, white supremacist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he still is one. Uh, so, anything you got to say about this scene? Because I've just got some questions. Well, there's... I already the, Go ahead. There's the picture that he's looking at, obviously. Um, we had a ton... He's zoned in at, or zoned out on, at the doctor's office when he got his original cancer diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. So, we, I mean... There's obvious callback there. A lot of obvious callbacks this episode. Um, I was looking at that picture. So that picture is basically, it looks like a family waving to someone as they head out to a larger boat in, in a rowboat, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so, I don't know. I didn't. I actually was trying to figure that out, and it just looked very abstract to me. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Uh, I, okay. I Although we I'm have low-def AMC, so... Who knows? Right. Actually, it's I not even standard def; it's low def. <laughs> right. Uh, but that—that that to me, 
it goes right along with the reflective Walt that we see here. Um, sure. He's he's looking at that. And he's saying, "Yeah, there, there's my family. I'm leaving them behind. What am I doing? You know, uh, right. I want to go back to shore." Right. Uh, that that boat full of meth is not worth it. <laughs> no, that's yeah, I agreed. And look at who he's trying to having to consort with. He's gone from Mike to these guys. Yeah. Now, so I already asked, like, what's going to happen when these guys figure out the Walt has no muscle at all? What what do you think this look that took place between Todd and his uncle, right? You know, like, when when Walt delivers this, you guys used to need to figure it out. That's what I'm paying you for. And the uncle looked at Todd like, is this guy for real? And Todd kind of gave, like, a, you know, the hoodwink nod, and then he kind of laughs. I don't. I just feel like these guys don't really take Walt seriously. They're not. They weren't like like Declan and his crew seem to be kind of cowed by him. But I don't feel like these guys fear or respect him all that much. What was your read? Am I way off base? Uh, no. I think you're pretty right on about that. Um, to look at Walt, he doesn't necessarily look like an intimidating guy. You know, even with the head shaved and the goatee. I mean, he's still looking just like a normal dude. And they yeah. don't know his history, so they don't know the people he's killed. I mean, maybe Todd has informed them a little bit to even get this meeting. But Well, but I just don't think that he's not just not intimidating. He's The only thing that keeps him alive is the fact that he's worth more alive than dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because the only reason they these multiple people in the series haven't just taken a pistol out and shot him in the head is because he's convinced them that he can make them a ton of money, and they are, you know, greedy criminals. When yeah. that comes to an end, which it seems to this series seems to imply it has come to an end in this episode. I mean, there's going to be we we wondered who's going to be the big bads. We've got no shortage of big bads at the end of that season eight at this point. Yeah, good point. We've got Lydia and the shadowy parts of Madrigal Electromotive. Uh, we've got, which, you know, she's probably the smallest of the big bads. We've got the skinhead race, you know, prison organization that killed 10 guys in the space of two minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the entire might of the federal government with DEA. Um, Lord Almighty. Like, when the Mexican cartel, I mean, we haven't heard from them all season, but what's the odds that they're going to just, you know, Declan's crew? There's a lot of guns pointed in Walt's direction. Yeah, yeah. When we get to um, the longer montage of this episode, we need to talk a little bit about Declan and that whole operation. Okay. Well, the other thing I had a question about is that, or observation, is it seems like the transitional episodes where there's a lot of, like, personal character development for Walt are heralded by the more frequent use of that sped-up footage that we've talked about, you know, that's been a kind of a tribute to that, that movie that can never pronounce. <laughs> yeah. Koya, yeah. Koya, Koya Sakasi. Is that it? That's exactly it. <laughs> I don't think so. You can always <laughs> pronounce it good. How do you do that? Uh, Cause I like heard somebody pronounce it in a trailer or something. I don't know. So what, how, how do you pronounce it? it it's called Koya Sakasi, but I don't know how to spell it. If you search, if you Google for, um, like film a life out of balance, mm-hmm. you will prop that's the first result. It'll be, and I think it's spelled with the, like a bunch of K's and Q's and U's. <laughs> yeah, it is. So it just doesn't look, yeah, that's why I can never pronounce it. 
Um, but that like whole concept of life out of balance and, you know, man out of being out of balance with nature, I feel like every time this, this episode had four of those sped up sequences, usually there's at least one and they denote two things, the passage of time. And also I feel like Walt's character kind of slipping into or out of a moral mode. Huh? Okay. And in this case, it's basically Walt's lowest point. Um, you know, I guess arguably the child being killed, but he was kind of complicit in that. He didn't actually do it here. He's murdering 10 men to help them get to the point where he is in today in completely cold blood. And it is one of the most horrific things I've seen on television. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is the worst death? I've got a top two. The fire death. Uh, really? Yeah. Because and the lawyer getting killed looked brutal too. Which one was like, that? He's the first one where they came up behind him with the phone. He's like this pudgy little okay. lawyer that's making cake pops. And these guys come up with two-inch daggers and just, just sit there and like – I mean I don't think I've seen anything that uh, – that's like Oz-level gore. Um, then just repeatedly stabbing the guy. Yeah, 20, uh, 30 times. It was brutal. Uh, brutal. So brutal. Uh, or Dennis, the warehouse or the, the laundromat manager who got set on fire. Yeah. That was kind of, you know, both inventive and extremely brutal. So anyway, 10 guys, they established that they need to do this in the space of about two minutes. Um, you know, obviously that makes sense sure. because if they did this over the course of days, pretty soon they'd put these guys in special protective custody and there's no way you could reach them. Uh, and then we cut from that. Now, before uh, gets the phone. before we move on, um, so during this, I mean, they're showing the clocks. They're, we hear all the ticking. We see Walt in his house looking out the window, just kind of waiting. Do, do you think this was the, the meaning of all that ticking we heard in the scenes before, or was that yes. all Skyler waiting for him to die? No, I actually think that that's – well, I mean, there's dual purposes for this. But, I mean, obviously that was a – audio and visual motif has been leading up to this whole time. And, you know, it's the fact that this was, you know, very Godfather, uh, you know, Walt's kind of off, um, you know, doing something else and knowing that this plan's put in action and kind of waiting to hear, you know, kind of like Michael at his, uh, nephew's baptism, you know, waiting to hear that word that, yeah, everything's gone off according to plan. um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that was a payoff for that that little motif they've been they've been working. Okay. Um, and I had another thought too. Ah, shoot, I, I forgot to. I looked it up, but I forgot to write down the name of this song. Did you happen to get it? Because it was uh, such a great, great fit, like a weird juxtaposition between this kind of like, you know, wholesome music admonishing someone to keep their nose to the grindstone and keep working till your day's work is done while these guys are just sawing through these corpses. Pretty it's 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 definitively breaking bad, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, they like to do that. They like to juxtapose things that don't go together uh traditionally. Yep. And we see that in meth cooking scenes, we see that in murder scenes. Uh, and that's one part that I love about this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem to go either uh, super ironic or super poignant when they put their swing, song choices. I think this is kind of both. Yeah. Because lyrics actually fit the action weirdly. Mm-hmm. It's just wrong how they do it. Yeah. Uh, so 
we transition. Are you done with this scene, or should we move on? We, can we move on? Keep going. All right, so we transition out of this to Walt bouncing Holly on his knee and kind of cooing over her. Uh, you know, Marie comes home, says that Hank is not in the best mood. Then kind of brilliance happens. What, what did you make of this scene? Uh, I really liked it. I mean, first of all, I noticed that uh, Hank drinks some decent whiskey. You know, he's drinking some Knob Creek. Not bad. Uh-huh. Uh, but the, then we get to the camping story. Um, right. Where he kind of sits log, down. Logging story. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Hank's old job where he used to go out into the forest and mark trees um, and get a sunburn and get mosquito bites. And right. he's kind of longing for that now. He's He really doesn't want to be chasing these bad guys anymore. You know, he's, he's run into a brick wall. Um, he's been told by his superiors that he can't do something that he thinks he needs to do. And he's he's maybe reconsidering his career. Yeah. And then I I really like the the line that Walt gives him where he says, "I used to love to go camping." That to me was very. That was him, kind of telling Hank to back off. Like, yeah, maybe you should be in camping. You know, maybe yeah, maybe you I should go back so, and do I was, something else. I was going to ask you what he thought that meant. That's what I thought that meant. Him. Him just subtly hinting that, yeah, you need to back off. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. That's what I got anyway. Uh, well, the one thing I want to mention is because uh, Walt was wearing some, you know, blue shirts before. Um, and what was the song? We've been talking about yellow is, is good, blue is bad, or is it green bad? <laughs> blue is good, yellow is bad. Oh, well, that doesn't make sense in this because Hank is wearing a yellow shirt and, and Walt is wearing green. I thought it might have been the reverse. And I was like, oh, that's really smart of Villigan because Walt is kind of – this is his moment where he's transitioning. He's at the brink of evil, and he's going to try to pull it back a bit. But no, no. never mind. No, and, and also <laughs> people are talking about uh, Marie being in all yellow lately, and she yeah. doesn't strike me as someone who's being bad. So I'm thinking that that – Blue is good, yellow is bad. Might have been limited to, if not just that scene, then that episode, you know? Right, right. And it might have just meant nothing. Um, Hank and Marie's relationship is like the weirdest, right? Why do you say that? It seems like they take turns nursing each other through crisis. Oh, yeah. She goes and, you know gets her desert klepto thing and then he comes and saves the day uh and you know they have like these like borderline verbally abusive relationship at times and they kind of take take turns who's the one doing the abusing but mm-hmm. then it's like you know he has a bad day at work and she's like the, switches into ultimate housewife mode yeah i just think that it's like i i don't know whether that's that's a workable relationship or is this like the writers using marie to you know whatever they need marie to be in that week uh, you know, we're going to have her do that. Did you have any thoughts on that, or should we move on? Um, I don't know. I think that's why they work well together. Um, and that's, you know, I, even Walt has complimented them on that. Uh, They're when, the only people that put up with each other's shit? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And, and when one of them is down, the other can be there to pick them up, you know? Good point. Uh, so this transition from this scene to the cook scene montage is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Brian goes down, he comes back, you know, 
comes back up and he's got his his hoodie on. Yeah, he really had to reach for that coffee table, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put that glass down. Yeah. So I, this is the take it to the limit Scarface montage, mm-hmm. where you know, first of all, it's set to Tommy James and the Shondells, Crystal Blue, Persuasion. How long has Villigan been sitting on this song? Is this something they just recently become aware of, or they just had this kind of like in Hell their no. archives? Yeah, they, this has been, but they've been waiting to pull this song out for seasons now. And I'll be waiting yeah. to get it out of my head for another few seasons. Oh, shit. Because it was good. Yes, yes, yes. Um, did you have, so this is one of the big problems a lot of the critics had. Did you have any problem with the fact that? Walt achieves kingpin status, and then they blow through his entire reign on top in a two-minute montage. Uh, didn't he already achieve kingpin status by killing Gus? I mean, isn't that basically no, where he was? No, because he didn't have the distribution worked out, and he was reliant on yeah. Mike. He didn't have the he empire. Had, he had this loose where Mike was still the puppet master, and he was he had a lot of loose ends. You know, I think killing the ten guys and getting with Declan, those are the two things that now he, you know, he finally had the Empire running it the way he wanted. It was bloodless. It was efficient. It was lucrative. um, But on the other hand, it was also very soulless. Yeah, and that's a big problem, I think, that Walt has with it. Because you can see in this montage, I mean, him just sitting in his chair, rubbing his head. He's bored. You know, the action isn't there. When he was... Fighting Gus when he was running around with Tuco, it was always action packed. Um, and he felt alive. It, yeah, like that made him feel when alive. He, when he uh, when he got that uh, you know um, mercury fulminate or whatever it was yeah. and blew, blew up Tuco's place, and he got back to the car and he's just like punching with excitement. When he beat cancer and he trashed that towel dispenser. Uh, you know, all these different scenes of him, you know, this, this, I just, you just feel like that that's the first time he's really felt alive in his life. Yeah. And now that feeling is just gone. And he, he had this montage of like, you know, catatonic Brian's or, or Walt going through the motions, even Saul, mm-hmm. like, you know, Saul was such a vibrant, colorful character. And now they even shot him with this really subdued palette and he's gone to drinking Uh he doesn't look like he's having any fun um i just thought that was a really great scene and i had no problems here because like how interesting would this be if they blew this out to eight episodes of him just being on top and making all this money yeah i don't know i mean there would need to be other problems introduced right uh and i don't know that they have time to do that they need to get the dea involved right now which yep. is what they're yep. doing. So if if they were to get involved with Declan and get involved with Lydia, it'd just be too much. So you wanted to talk about Declan a little bit. Uh, yeah. So what do you think Declan's role is now? Um, now that he has Lydia to distribute his product to Czech Republic. Well, I mean, so that was a. I I got the feeling that for some reason. The deal with Declan is still on, but Walt is just increasing the number of cooks that he's doing. That's what I thought, too. Like, and they implied in that at the end where they showed the houses and the, the tents and the tents <laughs> and the tents and how they kept exploding. Yeah, Popping up cool. like mushrooms that, you know, 
he was really burning through this. And also it's like, cause I think that if I got my timeline, right, it was going to take Walt approximately 18 months to cook through this methylamine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money that he has, and I'm going to talk about this later on the episode, the money that I've calculated that he has at this point, minus his cuts. And also, did you see when they were transferring the methylamine from the big container to like a little five gallon jug? I thought that I could see the level of the methylamine and it was somewhere between two thirds and half full. Hmm. Okay. And was that towards so the beginning that, or end of the montage? It's towards the end. And if that's the case, uh, he is way ahead of schedule. And yeah. I think that they're implying that he is 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 cooking uh, methylamine at much more than fifty pounds a batch. You know that he's actually got several of these batches going, and he might maybe have tripled the output. And instead of taking nineteen uh, eighteen months to cook through it, it's going to take him eight or nine. Because three months in, if he's down to a third of the level, you know, or, you know, even a half of the level, then he's going to be cooking through that in nine months. And so I think that's where he's going to do. Now, the big question is, what does Declan think about all this? You know, yeah. what, if, if he finds out that he's being shorted a percentage of the methylamine so Walt can make more money, is he going to have a problem with that? Uh, he might if he doesn't eventually get all the meth that he was promised. I mean, that's the thing. He's not. I mean, Walt says he's out. I think he's insane. That's not, you know, I mean, that obviously is not going to be that easy. Sure. Yeah. Unless, I don't know. I mean, is there any way that Lydia got him more methylamine? Maybe, but I I think maybe his plan was to hand this off to Todd and get out that way. Yeah. Um, And kind of lied to Skyler a little bit. I mean, that's the other thing on the table. He could just be lying to Skyler. Sure. But I think the DEA on his ass is going to make it very hard for him to, you know, do this in a way that is going to be structured like he probably wanted it to be. Yeah. So, uh, further, uh, are we done with this or we need to talk about some other stuff? I, one other point I wanted to make. Do you have one? No, we can keep going. Um, how eager would people at Madrigal be to work with Lydia at this point? That's one kind of minor problem I'm having because mm-hmm. they show her, you know, with her well-manicured nails pushing these labels on and this uh, gentleman wheeling it away on a little dolly and kind of nodding to her. It's like they all remember what happened to her last guy, right? He got picked up on drug charges and then violently killed in a prison assault. Like, Yeah, but she didn't. These people watch think- the huh? Yeah, but she didn't. I think that's the important part. Well, but I mean, I guess they're these these people are in um, is it in Houston, right? I think so. Maybe they're far enough away from Albuquerque that are not seeing the news and they don't know exactly what happened. But hmm. damn. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing is uh, this warehouse manager. Uh, th- that's a problem I have too. I don't, he's in Houston, right? Yeah. So, so the gang from Albuquerque have ranged reaches into Houston, or did they bring him to an Albuquerque jail? Uh, and you got me. I don't know. He was picked up after the episode where Lydia had her nine names. So does that mean there should be 11 names? That, there's, there's something that's not quite sitting right about this whole Lydia's part of the scheme. But, you know, whatever. Hmm. Okay. Uh. Anyway, uh, we get further indication in the next scene of how much time has elapsed because we're, we, we open up with Holly walking around with Skylar's help. Um, you know, the, basically the point in this scene is to establish that it's been three months. 
always walking around. Junior doesn't want to have anything to do with his mom and her movie night, and that Marie is wanting her to fix, repair the family. Yeah, uh, repair the family, like, by repairing the family, you know? Yeah. Bring the kids yeah. home. That seems to make a lot of sense. And, and she's saying that for whatever reason, Skylar does seem to be better. Uh-huh. Um, you know, this is getting to be routine. I don't, you know, I, I don't really know. I've, I've got a little bit of problems with what they did to Skylar in this episode. We'll hear talk about in a bit. I don't really have a lot to say about the scene because it felt like a very utilitarian yeah. uh, three months flash forward. And we're going to tell you that. And we're going to tell you how the plot is going to advance now. Uh, you, do you disagree? Nope. Keep going. So Skylar comes home to the uh, darkened white residence. Walt is sitting with another catatonic stare looking at his reactor fuel cooling pool <laughs> uh, in his backyard. And she invites him to take a drive with me. So he's, which they move. Go ahead. Uh, he's here thinking about the time that she walked into it and almost drowned, right? He's got to be. I'm sure that's one. I'm sure that's one of the things he's thinking about. But he spends a lot of time at the pool. Think about you know him almost setting his money on fire, him throwing matches in there, uh, him getting the idea for the Lily of the Valley. I mean, this is kind of like his evil plotting layer. Yeah, and yeah. his wistful regret layer it's his fortress of poolitude yeah it's a nice one uh it's his <laughs> reflecting pool right i mean he goes there to there think go. about things it's his reflecting pool perfect all right so we, we transfer to the storage facility this is so weird not having you in front of me uh-huh. Uh, and Skylar basically shows him a pile of cash and says, when is this going to be enough? This is, I've stopped counting it. I've stopped weighing it. I certainly can't launder it. If I had a hundred car, you know, laundromats, uh, car, car washes rather, uh, you know, what, what, are, why are you doing this? What, what are you, why are you sacrificing our family for this meaningless pile of money? If I ever I come like, to you and say that I have so much money, I have to spray it down for bugs. Uh, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out of everything. Like, I'm out of podcasting. Right. I'm out of wearing clothes. Yeah. I'm out of everything, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is kind of weird because that's the, that's the catch-22 of these criminal enterprises. You get all this cash, but you can't really spend it. Yeah. I mean, you can't go out and flash millions of dollars. I mean, you can basically... Bloat on food, clothes, vacation, uh, Vegas, but you can't, you know, you can't put your kid to college through. I mean, there's a very limited amount of time. I mean, I don't even know how, like, mafia types launder this money because it's just so much. I know it has to happen and it's very complicated, but it's definitely beyond Skylar's kin. Yeah. Uh, a couple things I have. I've got some calculations I want to run past you about how much money I think this is. All right, bring but it. first of all, do you buy the fact that Walt would lose track of the money he's making? Is that a symptom of how detached he's become from the process? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, because he doesn't he want to handle that Mike part, down, right? Before he had Mike down to like the nearest hundredth dollar, you know, like you're short Mike, and now he doesn't know how much money he's got. Yeah, that's a good point. So I thought that was a symptom of his level of detachedness. So let me let me bust out some math on you. Oh boy. This pile of money looked to be about knee height, right? Okay. So 
I measured my knee from floor to like mid kneecap, You're and tall guy I got now. like I'm like 22 inches high, and you know I think Anna Gunn is like five nine, so she's about five inches shorter than me. Uh, so let's say her kneecap's 20 inches off the ground. I also estimated that the pile is about six foot by six foot. So we got a 72-inch pile by 72-inch pile by 20 inches deep. I looked up the stats for the U.S. dollar bills, and they are 43 thousandth of an inch thick. <laughs> so a stack of 120s, which is the $2,000 bands we've been seeing all season long, is about 0.43 inches thick, a little less than half an inch thick. Huh. They're also 2.6 inches wide by 6.1 inches long. That means we're dealing uh, with a stack of bills. Uh, let's see, where is my stats here? Um, man, what did I do with that? What about the denominations, it's, man? Well, that's, I'm about to. De- I'm about to deal with that. Okay. Um, so we're talking about a stack of bills that's about 28 inches wide, or 28 bills wide by 12 inches long, and it's 4,651. Uh, bills high so if that was a stack of 20s all 20s it would be 31.3 million dollars wow if it was a stack of 50s it'd be 78.1 million dollars if it's a stack of hundos we're talking 156.2 million dollars now obviously skylar point out it's mixed denominations yeah but uh, i feel like the number is probably somewhere right there in the 70 to 80 million dollar range yeah, I would say it'd be slightly under what the fifty thousand is because you assume if you take the average of all of it. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And so it could be a little bit more, could be a little bit less, but it's definitely at least you know 30, unless I've screwed up my math and I vetted this on Facebook, no one had a problem with it. If it's if it's thirty two million low in one hundred fifty six on the high end, this is also consistent with about the talk. Uh, you know where we think Walt is if he's double cooking the methylamine and how much methylamine. I mean, this all seems to jive with the numbers that we've been given. So that's a shit ton of money. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving on from this scene where he's had this realization with uh, Skyler to his little, his cancer uh, body scan where he gets to play even more catatonic. Um, we see the previously dented towel holder that wasn't replaced from the previous season when he found out he had beaten cancer. Uh, what do you make of that symbolism? Well, if you remember, he punched that thing when he found out that he was going to live. And he was in remission, right? Yeah. Um, I I don't know. It's rough because they, they showed the same shot that they showed of him being scanned uh, where they flip him around on the table, uh, uh-huh. kind of over the head view. Uh, and then they show that paper towel dispenser. To me, it's like this is him realizing that he wants to be alive. And I, I don't know. I mean, if if really? if he really is lying to Skyler here, and he's not out, uh-huh. then my analysis is total bullshit. But to me, uh-huh. the reflective manner, the reflective tone of this entire episode for Walt really, to me, says that he does want to get out, and these are the little things along the way that are pushing him out. I mean, that, that pile of money is a huge argument in favor of that. Uh, this dented paper right. towel dispenser, when he sees that, I think he's thinking, he, he remembers that he was in remission at that point. He could have gotten out at that point. Uh, he didn't have to 
do any more of this. You know, he could have gone back to work as a teacher or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And and he kind of felt weird about breaking it because he was going to live. Right. So no, I, I, I got the opposite take. I thought yeah. that this is an opposite reaction from the time before. So I took it from it that the cancer has, in fact, came back. And if you remember a flashback where he's taking pills and coughing, I feel pretty oh. solid about the cancer has now out of remission. And Walt, this is the last the straw that broke his back. He doesn't want to do this in the last days of his life. He wants to enjoy some of this money, enjoy his family, and try to repair their image of him so he can die as Walter White and not as Eisenberg. Okay, I, I got you. You were actually talking about uh, as it relates to his cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is is not what I was talking about, but we kind of both came to the same conclusion there. Right, right, right. But do you do you think the cancer? Do you think this is symbolic of the cancer coming back? The inversion of his catharsis and his destruction of the paper towel dispenser. Did you did you get that from that? Yeah, I I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. Uh, So this uh, brings us to Jesse. Um. And he almost burns himself up on a couch, which was interesting. Uh, But then he sees Walter at his door, and he's scared to death. At this point, when he went off camera and came back, did you get the idea that he had gotten a gun or a weapon? Because I definitely did. No, I didn't until he threw it out of his pocket there. Okay. Um, so Walt, he, you know, he, he talks about, you know, what's been transpiring and how they're not in prison. Uh, he again repeats this other mantra that there's no other option that had to be done. Jesse's not having it. He's not coming back. And Walt doesn't try to argue with him. He just turns the conversation over to their bounder, which is the name of their classic R- R- RV, the model number. Um, what did you, as I, I've got some definite symbolism, I thought, uh, I thought maybe that this also is getting to the bottom of why Walt has been doing this. Um, what did you think of it? Uh, I had a really bad take on this the first time through because I didn't think, oh, he might be afraid of Walt. Uh, what I was thinking is that he was lying about his phone being unplugged. It was actually disconnected, like he implied, and that he's out of money. And this gun is him ready to off himself. (laughs) And I I now realize that is totally wrong. Uh, so the the second time through, I, I was looking at that and I didn't know what to really think about this scene. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought that the end where they're talking about all these good times or bad times I had with the RV and Jesse's like, you know, we had money. Why do we have to have the shittiest RV? Uh And Walt's like inertia. Yeah. And I'm like, is that after all is said and done? Because Walt's motivation for cooking this meth has changed five different times in the series. Is the real motivation there just that word, the inertia? I mean, the fact that he was doing it and he just couldn't stop. It wasn't about Gretchen. It wasn't about he just got caught in his rut. Yeah, at points it certainly has been. Um, I think that's one of the motivating factors along with pride, uh, along with greed, along with um, his his caring for his family. You know, all of those are kind of thrown in there. And this is kind of the reveal of the final one, I think. Mm-hmm. So... Moving on, Walt says, I left something for you, and he leaves off, and the music keeps getting ominous and more ominous, and you're wondering, was this going to be like 
Mike's head in the bag or Brock's <laughs> body. Or I mean, I felt certain was the is definitely the money, but they're definitely building up this tension on Jesse's face, and the music was mirroring that. And then the music kind of crescendoed when he found out it was the money, and you see this relief flooding over him, throwing away the gun. And I thought that was a pretty effective scene. Those were all the bills with silverfish on them. <laughs> yeah. I can't even That's use these. Yeah, this is these blood-ridden dollars. <laughs> um, moving on to the next scene where he comes home to Skyler and says he's out. I actually thought this was the scene, the big scene from our spoilers that was going to happen. Me too, me and too. I was like, oh, my God. And But then it, it came and went. And, you know, what is – okay, what is Skyler thinking here? Because uh, just that's three a damn ago, good question. She, she was waiting for Walt to die, thinking he's history's greatest monster. The one thing that felt a little sour to me in this episode was that they built Skylar up and, and had her such, you know, this, this huge character shift. Mm-hmm. And now she's going to go back and just kind of like take Walt back. The trouble with this I, is it's been months, right? I mean, that montage uh, lasted at least two months, probably three. Um, there is time in there for her to change her mind. And I think we see that she is kind of happy on the uh, patio later in the party. Marie points out she's smiling. I mean, she's coming around. Walt's prediction that you will change your mind about me is coming true. You think that's really true? Because it just, then that seems like once you get to a point in a relationship where you want the other person to die, (laughs) (laughs) I've never really gotten to that point in a relationship. (laughs) Definitely and not. I certainly, I certainly, I've gotten to, like, I don't want to ever see you again. Uh-huh. And it would take a hell of a lot longer than three months to reverse that, especially when I'm basically a slave to the person's criminal empire the entire time. I, I feel just you, thought, but what other way can you read this? No, I think it's right. I just think this is the one sour note. Like, Yeah. And I haven't heard anybody really talk about it. The fact that this is a huge U-turn for her character, and it kind of makes me feel bad about the good work they've done with Skyler up to this point this season. Maybe there's something we're missing, and and this is not really a turnaround in her character. Maybe there's something telling about the way she really feels, and we're just not grasping onto it. Yeah, maybe she's really, she's just acting. Yeah, you know that if he gets out, that she'll just still count the days until his cancer returns, and then you know I don't know. So, uh, but the kids come home. She lets the kids come home in the next scene. Well, right. But there's a sped up sequence. We have no idea how much more time has elapsed. I I'm guessing not very much because we haven't had any fallout from Declan or any of that. 40 years. (laughs) We have all the snippets of just kind of mundane dialogue. You know, you just hear just like bits of like, just just random bullshit that people talk about. And yep. Jr. and Holly are tottering around the pool's edge, and I'm t- I'm like, this whole time my heart is pounding, like I'm terrified <laughs> that Junior is going to fall, and Holly's going to fall in the pool, or something awful is going to happen. <laughs> but like I said, Skyler and Walt look happy. Uh, Hank goes to take a shit, sits on the can, and pulls out the Walt Whitman. And has this flashback to you got me moment. And mm. then I like your Twitter comment about it's a good thing Hank was on the can because he would have shit his pants yeah. for this revelation. Yeah. Uh, and, and fade to credits. Yeah, man. Yeah. That, that's a crazy, crazy thing to happen right at the very end of the season. It's obviously the biggest cliffhanger I've seen in the series. 
because because you know they've established this that that Hank really cares about his nephew and niece. He cares about Walton Skyler. Mm-hmm. What is he going? He cares about his career. Uh, what is he going to do with all this? Can I and, can and, I take a guess? Can I make an official prediction? Make an official prediction. I this is going to be a crazy one. I think because of the camping story, because of the logging story, Hank is not going to turn Walt in. I think he's going to he's going to forego his job, maybe quit, and not do anything about it. Because I we talked about it. There's a money trail back to Hank, um, and just his outlook on his job right now is not good. Hmm. I don't. I That's don't. That's my crazy no, official okay. prediction. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll let you make it. Right. Uh, one thing that I saw on the internet, a lot of people wondering is what is Gretchen's maiden name? Okay. Because I, I saw some people say that he's going to try to pawn it off like that's a, something that Gretchen left him. And some people thought that her middle, maiden name was Black, which Man, I don't agree with. That's not going to sell to Hank. Especially since it's an exact match for uh, Gail's handwriting. Exactly. Um, do we have a, is, is Audible sponsoring this cast or is it the, they're four weeks up? Uh, no, they are sponsoring this cast. All right. Well, and I'll have to mention the fact that we are sponsored by, sponsored by Audible, and they have over 100,000 uh, complete audiobooks in stock. Uh, and if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash baldmove, exclusively to our listeners, you can get a free audiobook uh, when you sign up for a trial subscription, which is anywhere from like a you know, 10 to $15 value. And again, you got a long road trip or you got a long commute. So you want some uh, time to kill. They have a, a lot of uh, current bestsellers and, uh, you know, again, a deep catalog, 100,000 uh, titles long. And I've used their service now. I think it's great. We've got a lot of positive feedback from it. So if it's, you've been curious about it, check it out. It's free. Audiblepodcast.com slash bald move. So, yeah, I think that anyone said that's that's wish, the wishful thinking. Um, I had one, I haven't, I haven't really been able to get on Facebook much, um, because of, you know, not having a laptop and just my phone. I did get an email from, uh, Diz from Seattle who had a correction for us. We've been saying that Jesse has not ever called Mr. White anything, but, uh, Mr. White, he said he's just been having a Breaking Bad marathon. He got the episode 205 breakage and Jesse called, uh, Mr. White Walt at the 26 minute mark during the division of labor argument. Uh, he said something along the lines of, You need me at this point more than I need you, Walt. Uh, just kind of as a way to kind of, you know, underline the change in their relationship. Can, can I read you a giant list of names of people who also wrote in with that? Certainly. <laughs> because we got so much email on that. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to read a giant list of names, but thank you to all the people who did write in about that. Uh, there okay. is one email that I, I wanted to read. I'm not sure who to attribute it to because I have a giant list of names here. Um, but this has a, it's a really good take on that particular moment. Uh, uh-huh. It says, in Season 2, Episode 5, Breakage After the Tuco Ordeal, Jesse tells Walt that they're going to do things Jesse's way from now on or he'll walk. The scene finishes uh-huh. with Jesse saying, you need me more than I need you, Walt. Jesse uses Walt's name very deliberately in this moment to assert that he's no longer the underling. However, yep. after Jesse's failure to intimidate the Spooges, Jesse admits that he ain't no Tuco and returns to calling, Mr., calling Walt Mr. White and letting Walt be the leader of their operation. Jesse calling Mr. White has always signified his willingness to let Walt be the one in control. 
If Jesse ever starts calling him Walt instead, it will be a sign that Jesse has finally lost all the respect he had for his old partner and his view of Walt being his teacher or father figure. Hmm. I like it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Speaking of, uh, you know, Diz from Seattle, I actually have been able to meet up with a lot of our listeners this weekend, and I ran into some on Happenstance. I did a podcast with our buddies Eric and Jesse here at Personal Arrogance, which I want to give them a big shout-out because Eric has been such a, a cool guy, and Jesse, I mean, I've, I've been on Eric's couch for almost a week now. He's plied me with the finest of Seattle's beers. He took me to a Mariners game. We're like BFFs. Uh, I, I took a ferry over to Port Townsend and stayed with Jesse for a couple of days, and he took me on a tour of his brewery, and same thing with the beer and alcohol. I've had such a great time here. I met up with some of the listeners. The one that sticks on my mind was Joe from, because it was yesterday, and he bought me beer. Um, <laughs> I have decided that if I ever do this again, I'm going to have a set date and time for, like, this is the bald move meetup and be here, be square, because it's been great. But meeting people onesie twosie, all that stuff has just been a coordination nightmare. So yeah. I'm glad I got to meet the people that, that did get to meet. And if I didn't get to meet up with you and you sent me an email, uh, I've definitely, you know, I'm in Seattle at least once a year. Uh, I will try to be a little bit more coordinated next time and a little bit more advanced notice. And if you're ever in Indianapolis, let me or Jim know and uh, we'd be happy to meet up with you. So yeah. uh, that's all I've got for feedback. I'm sure you've got a bunch more. I do. So let's... Uh, we're running really low on time here. We actually have a deadline tonight. Um, okay. So I'm going to have to skip a lot of it. Uh, well, we do have an all-email slash speculation cast coming up next week. Yeah, I'm thinking about saving most of it for that. So that would be helpful. And, you know, if you've, you've already got a take-in, you don't have to resend it. But if you haven't got one, then, again, we got an all-mailbag, all all-speculation all cast for next week. We'll get to all that. Do you have any choice cuts that you want to drop? Um, yeah, so there's – do you know who uh, Sam Peckinpah is? Uh, isn't he like an American folklorist? Uh, that's a good question because I don't know who he is, honestly. Um, he makes a lot of films though. Uh, okay. Both writes and directs. Him, but I don't – Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you if he's alive or dead, honestly. But Daryl wrote in with um, kind of a breakdown of last episode uh, where you, you commented that the visual style was similar to Kurosawa films. Um, yeah. And he says that's certainly valid, but the episode was definitely Sam Peckinpah through and through. He says, uh, I'm a fan of westerns, especially the films of Sam Peckinpah. Nobody has ever done a better job of coming combining huge archetypes, gritty realism, and existential meditations than Peck and Paw, and Breaking Bad works on many of those same levels. Mm-hmm. This episode in particular, in particular, reminded me of Peck and Paw from the start, with that three-point face-off in the desert. Uh, we're mm-hmm. talking about Declan there. Uh, two bad men, each accompanied by a couple of henchmen, meeting in a remote location to establish terms of the relationship. Classic American Western imagery. Uh, but the closing showdown between Mike and Walt was so classically Peck and Paw that I read it entirely as tribute to that director. Um, the scene was a mixture of wide angles and close-ups, ev- evoking Peckinpah and Sergio, Sergio Leone. Um, as soon as I saw Mike and Walt facing each other from 20 feet apart, I knew Mike was going to die. Yeah. Um, so he, talks, he also talks about the dialogue being similar, um, being very Peckinpah. 
And unfortunately, I don't get the reference, but uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will. So I wanted to bring that up. Well, Sergio Leone is one that gets mentioned time and time again. And definitely, you know, that had a classic spaghetti western uh, uh, feel to it. And I think Kurosawa was influenced by that. And obviously, uh-huh. Kurosawa influenced others because they remade The Seven Samurai into The Magnificent Seven. And I really only got the Kurosawa thing at the very end because I do think that Mike is that classic kind of Ronin character. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that, that, that it's, it's his own kind of moral code. So, uh, yeah, I like that thing a lot. Uh, this was an interesting thought that I hadn't had that episode, but uh, Shannon writes in, when Walt made the leap that he could have gotten the list from Lydia as he's standing next to Mike, uh, a dying Mike, she says she really got pissed off because at that moment he let Mike know that he was dying due to another mistake made by Walt. So, once again, Walt's mistakes come back to haunt Mike for the final time. I think, Mike, that's what he was saying. Was Would you just shut the fuck up and let me die? Yeah, yeah. I'm tired of you. If he had the energy, he would have rolled his eyes one last time. <laughs> yeah, he would. Um, Doug had some comments about uh, our podcast. Uh, so, taking us to task a little bit here on our coverage of 507. He says... Oh. Usually love your podcast, and it's become required listening for me, but this week's show is lacking for some reason. Really, see- <clears throat> sorry, It really seemed rushed, and uh, questions I had watching the episode weren't even brought up. So, first of all, we did say at the beginning of last one that it was rushed. Uh, yeah, I had only seen the episode an hour before. I had been moving, new job, all that stuff. So, yes, it was definitely rushed. We only had half the brains fully engaged. Exactly. Uh, but he has a couple... <laughs> What's that? This is a two-brain cast. We had only 1.5 brains coming to the table at best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so his, his follow-up questions were, can the police just follow you into safe deposit room and watch you? Uh, do they need to get a warrant for that? I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Um, I, I thought we talked about that in the cast. So I want to I I push back a little bit because I'm pretty sure that I said that it all depends on if they got the bank manager role. Because you don't uh-huh. need a search warrant from the dude. You need a search warrant from the place. Yeah, yeah. Didn't we say something about uh, Hank right. coming like, with, like, with better cake pops? Yeah, they didn't search his person. They didn't search his car. They had the bank manager open up a door when he had thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars flopped up in a duffel bag, which is, again, I know we talked about this. And the war on drugs, that's basically prima facie evidence that you are in the the drug business, and they can seize that in your your person. Okay, fair enough. Uh, His other point was um, when Hank's getting dressed down by his boss about uh, following Heisenberg leads, uh, following Mike – he, this, Doug says that he actually saw something in the photograph that he was looking at that tipped him off. Um, really? And we didn't it? mention that in the podcast. I don't know. See, um, I felt like maybe he did, but I went back and I watched it and I honestly couldn't pick up what he would have seen in those photographs because they were all pretty innocuous. Yeah, and it was, uh, I just felt like this was him zoning out on the case and the only reason he, decided to move on to the lawyer was because he couldn't tail Ehrmantraut no more. Because yeah. they pretty clearly established that even Mike agreed that if they tail him long enough, he'll screw up. So I think that was Walt's or Hank's plan. 
So yeah, like I said, I think we did a kind of maybe a half-ass cast, but I don't know if those are the best examples of us doing a half-ass job. <laughs> maybe sure. Doug could write in with his theory about what he thought he saw in the photos, because barring that, I don't, I, I, I don't, you know, I haven't gone back and rewatched it, but I definitely didn't get the that there was some kind of smoking gun he found. Yeah. Um, Alan actually wrote in and mentioned. Uh, you know Mark Maron's podcast, WTF podcast? Sure, sure. Um, he actually did a really awesome interview with Brian Cranston that I heard uh, maybe six months to a year ago. Um, and the, he's actually replaying it this week. So if you go to the What the Fuck podcast, uh, Mark Maron on iTunes, you can actually get a really good interview with a lot of history from Brian Cranston. Um, it's it doesn't have much to do with Breaking Bad. It's more just Brian Cranston's life, but it's really interesting. Okay. That guy's got a crazy interesting past. <laughs> does he? Yeah, he does. Uh, all sorts of shit, like circus involvement and crazy hmm. stuff. I'll have um, to check it out. And the Crystal Shep wrote in and said that the movie that Mike was watching in that episode is called The Big Heat. And it's from 1953, um, starring Glenn Ford... Gloria Graham and Lee Marvin. So it's 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 about a cop who takes on the crime syndicate that controls his city after the brutal murder of his beloved wife. Um, so I mean, you know, killing cops—that was pretty much the gist of it, I think. <laughs> I wonder if that's I wonder if that's the, the hint to Mike's backstory because be. they talked to Jonathan Banks, and I saw two separate interviews in the last week where people asked him, "Is like, you know, what went down in Philadelphia?" And Jonathan Banks said, I know, I've not been told, but I've in my mind, I've got the whole scenario worked out. And one of these days, I want to, I'll, I'll talk about it. But, you know, he's, I kind of think he doesn't want to step on Billigan's toes, like if there's a flashback sequence. But yeah. I'm kind of curious to see his take on because I feel like he feels like he's the true keeper of Mike's character. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that he's like, you know, let's Billigan take liberties with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's built up something in his head that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that's it for the the corrections feedback. I think I'm going to save the rest of it for next week. Um, okay. Because we're running right up against our time limit here. Okay, uh, how much time I, we got? Because some people were curious about spoilers. They didn't want to go back and listen to the spoilers for fear of being spoiled, but they want to know which ones we that we thought we had that went wrong. And I, we have like five minutes to talk about that. We have exactly five minutes. So let's okay, talk about well, it. We won't do the music, but if you are the type of person to be super paranoid about these failed spoiler predictions not coming true, but coming true next season, then switch off now. But since Villigan has said in a few interviews that even he doesn't know how exactly it's going to end, I'm pretty sure that these are dead spoilers. Yeah, um, I think they were just totally fake. The big spoiler we had, and again, what threw us is that these came from the same sources that had been correct before was that Walt was going to choke Skylar to death at the climax of this episode. And that there was going to be some threat and that she was going to be hysterical about it and that he was going to, uh, you know, attack her and in like a fit of rage, uh, choke her to death and, you know, then have this elaborate sobbing, you know, I did this for us, kind of, you know, classic break bad. Walt spooning the dead Skylar as the camera you know, pans overhead and they play some dramatically appropriate music. I actually thought that was 
how things were going to go up until 10 minutes left in the episode. And I'm like, there's no way they can do this. It's like the time has come and gone for that to happen. Uh, and I was kind of shocked, but, uh, that's the significant spoiler that we had in advance, like two or three weeks ago and didn't come true. And I don't know. It's like, do you feel I'm kicking myself? Cause I could have confirmed or got that confirmed or denied for us about two weeks ago. And I chose not to, um, what do you think of policy in the future? Should we report that stuff? I don't because know. It almost, it, it almost makes me not want sure. to do a spoiler section, right? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it was kind of fun. And I actually thought it by throwing me so far off the track, it actually enhanced my enjoyment of the episode. Yeah, I felt the same uh, way. I was constantly, I was just waiting. When is this right. going to happen? When is this going to happen? But I feel like if we're going to do a spoiler thing, we did the right thing and that we reported it as this is the sources and these are what they're telling us and here's their track record and, you know, but it's not confirmed. Yeah. Like if we'd gotten a screenshot of that, then we could have been a little bit more, you know, uh, forceful in it. But I, I mean, I, I'd like to hear from the listeners, would you rather us not report stuff that's unconfirmed like that in the future or, you know... In that case, we're not going to have much of a spoiler section each week. Yeah. But for the curious, what we typically do is we watch the scenes from next week. We speculate on that. We we get some sources that we round up from the Internet. And we try to put the, what, together what we know. It's rare during the season we have huge groundbreaking spoilers. Um, but, you know, with Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead and a few others, we have been able to deliver. So fortunately not this time. But again, I didn't hear anybody bitching that it really destroyed their experience. So I'm glad for that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for the episode. Like I said, we'll save all the feedback for this episode until our season wrap-up next week. Uh, got a lot of people saying that we, like, signing off for the year. Don't sign off for the year yet. Come back and join us for the wrap-up. Yep. Uh, quick, uh, quick uh, wrap up for our podcast. If you'd like to send us a, a feedback, you didn't get it into this episode, uh, and you wanted to uh, get it in for the, our all feedback uh, episode, do so at breakinggoodballmove.com. You can follow Jim and I, uh, myself at facebook.com/baldmove, and Jim on Twitter at baldmove. Uh, go to baldmove.com for all the stuff we do. Uh, you know, Walking Dead, Justified, Mad Men. Um, what am I missing? Game, oh, of Game of Thrones. We got the boys from Personal Arrogance doing their uh, geek pop culture podcast. They're awesome. I highly encourage everybody to check them out. Um, what? Uh, if you want to support us, you can do so by uh, using our Amazon affiliate link, either on by clicking on the banner at the top of our website uh, or going to uh, amazon.baldmove.com. Everything that you purchase, a little bit of a kickback will be given to us if you use those links. And finally, rate and review us on iTunes. We've been having a lot of growth this year. It's all due to the fact that your current votes and subscriptions, the people that haven't voted us uh, or haven't reviewed us and rated us and haven't subscribed have done so, and we've been able to consistently you know, hit the top of the TV and film charts, and that just really helps us grow the audience. And that's basically the reason why we do this. All right. That's it. you have any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I'm... Like I said, I'm. I think next week we're going to kind of talk about the season as a whole. Yeah. The season totally turned, you know, completely changed my mind about the cold open or the flash forward. Uh, I thought this is a satisfying way to end this mini season. Really has me amped up for next one. 
And oh. I can't wait to talk more about those thoughts and some, some revised spoiler, uh, speculation rather, not spoilers. And we can also do a, kind of a, a report card on how we're setting on this, the uh, speculation that we've had and the predictions we've made. Yeah, yeah, we didn't make a whole lot of predictions this half of the season. Uh, but yeah. I've, I've made a couple of bold ones. So. How about you, Jim? Do you got any final thoughts? Uh, good way to end this season. I'm going to be hotly anticipating the opening of next season or the next half of the season. Because, uh, man, man, they could go a lot of places with this. You know, I mean, Hank could walk out and, bam, arrest him on the spot. I don't think that's going to happen, but it could. Uh, he could also take his time, try to connect the dots. But Which I think that's probably going to be, it's going to be a tense, you know, four-way war for Walt, Walter White's ass between the DEA, <laughs> Declan's group, and the skinheads. And it's yeah. going to be awesome. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that next week. So come back then. Uh, All right. But, but until then, uh, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron, signing off from Seattle.